Chapter twenty four of Lorna Doone. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Lorna Doone by R. D. Blackmore. Chapter twenty four. A safe pass for King's Messenger. A journey to London seemed to us in those bygone days as hazardous and dark an adventure as could be forced on any man. I mean, of course, a poor man. For to a great nobleman with ever so many outriders, attendants, and retainers, the risk was not so great, unless the highwaymen knew of their coming beforehand, and so combined against them. To a poor man, however, the risk was not so much from those gentlemen of the road, as from the more ignoble footpads, and the landlords of the lesser hostels, and the loose, unguarded soldiers, over and above the pitfalls and the quagmires of the way, so that it was hard to settle at the first outgoing, whether a man were wise to pray more for his neck or for his head. But nowadays it is very different. Not that highwaymen are scarce. In this, the reign of our good Queen Anne, for in truth they thrive as well as ever, albeit they deserve it not, being less upright and courteous. But that the roads are much improved, and the growing use of stage-wagons, some of which will travel as much as forty miles in a summer day, has turned our ancient ideas of distance almost upside down, and I doubt whether God be pleased with our flying so fast away from him. However, that is not my business, nor does it lie in my mouth to speak very strongly upon the subject, seeing how much I myself have done towards making of roads upon Exmoor. To return to my story, and in truth I lose that road too often, it would have taken ten king's messengers to get me away from Plover's Barrows without one good-bye to Lorna, but for my sense of the trust and reliance which His Majesty had reposed in me. And now I felt most bitterly how the very arrangements which seemed so wise, and indeed ingenious, may by the force of events become our most fatal obstacles. For, lo, I was blocked entirely from going to see Lorna, whereas we should have fixed it so that I might as well have the power of signalling my necessity. It was too late now to think of that, and so I made up my mind at last to keep my honour on both sides, both to the king and to the maiden, although I might lose everything except a heavy heart for it. And indeed more hearts than mine were heavy, for when it came to the tug of parting, my mother was like, and so was any, to break down altogether. But I bade them be of good cheer, and smiled in the briskest manner upon them, and said that I should be back next week as one of His Majesty's greatest captains, and told them not to fear me then. Upon which they smiled at the idea of ever being afraid of me, whatever dress I might have on. And so I kissed my hand once more, and rode away very bravely. But bless your heart, I could no more have done so than flown all the way to London, if Jeremy Stickles had not been there. And, not to take too much credit to myself in this matter, I must confess that when we were come to the turn in the road where the moor begins, and whence you see the last of the yard, and the ricks and the poultry round them, and can, by knowing the place, obtain a glance of the kitchen window under the walnut tree, it went so hard with me just here, that I even made pretence of a stone in ancient Smiler's shoe to dismount, and to bend my head a while. Then, knowing that those I had left behind would be watching to see the last of me, and might have false hopes of my coming back, I mounted again with all possible courage, and rode after Jeremy Stickles. Jeremy, seeing how much I was down, did his best to keep me up with jokes and tales and light discourse, 
until before we had ridden a league I began to long to see the things he was describing. The air, the weather, and the thoughts of going to a wondrous place, added to the fine company, at least, so Jeremy said it was, of a man who knew all London, made me feel that I should be ungracious not to laugh a little. And being very simple then, I laughed no more a little, but something quite considerable, though free from consideration, at the strange things Master Sickles told me, and his strange way of telling them. And so we became very excellent friends, for he was much pleased with my laughing. Not wishing to thrust myself more forward than need be in this narrative, I have scarcely thought it becoming or right to speak of my own adornments. But now, what with the brave clothes I had on, and the better ones still that were packed up in the bag behind the saddle, it is almost beyond me to forbear saying that I must have looked very pleasing. And many a time I wished, going along, that Lorna could only be here and there, watching behind a furze bush, looking at me and wondering how much my clothes had cost. For mother would have no stint in the matter, but had assembled at our house, immediately upon knowledge of what was to be about London, every man known to be a good stitcher upon our side of Exmoor, and for three days they had worked their best, without stint, of beer or cider, according to the constitution of each. The result, so they all declared, was such as to create admiration, and defy competition in London, and to me it seemed that they were quite right, though Jeremy Stickles turned up his nose, and feigned to be deaf in the business. Now be that matter as you please, for the point is not worth arguing. Certain it is that my appearance was better than it had been before. For being in the best clothes, one tries to look and to act, so far as may be, up to the quality of them, not only for the fear of soiling them, but that they enlarge a man's perception of his value. And it strikes me that our sins arise partly from disdain of others, but mainly from contempt of self, both working the despite of God. But men of mind may not be measured by such paltry rule as this. By dinner-time we arrived at Porlock, and dined with my old friend Master Pook, now growing rich and portly. For though we had plenty of victuals with us, we were not to begin upon them until all chance of victualling among our friends was left behind, and during that first day we had no need to meddle with our store at all, for as had been settled before we left home, we lay that night at Dunster in the house of a worthy tanner, first cousin to my mother, who received us very cordially, and undertook to return old Smiler to his stable at Plover's Barrows after one day's rest. Thence we hired to Bridgewater, and from Bridgewater on to Bristow, breaking the journey between the two. But although the whole way was so new to me, and such a perpetual source of conflict that the remembrance still abides with me as if it were but yesterday, I must not be so long in telling as it was in travelling, or you will wish me farther, both because Lorna was nothing there, and also because a man in our neighbourhood had done the whole of it since my time, and feigns to think nothing of it. However, one thing, in common justice to a person who has been traduced, I am bound to mention, and this is, that being two of us, and myself of such magnitude, we never could have made our journey without either fight or running, but for the free pass which dear Annie, by some means, I know not what, had procured from Master Faggus. And when I let it be known, by some hap, that I was the own cousin of Tom Faggus, and honoured with his society, there was not a house upon the road but was proud to entertain me, in spite of my fellow-traveller, bearing the red badge of the king. "'I will keep this close, my son Jack,' he said, having stripped it off with a carving-knife. "'Your flag is the best to fly. The man who starved me on the way down, 
the same shall feed me fat going home. Therefore we pursued our way, in excellent condition, having striven upon the credit of that very popular highwayman, and being surrounded with regrets that he had left the profession, and sometimes begged to intercede that he might help the road again. For all the landlords on the road declared that now small ale was drunk, nor much of spirit called for, because the farmers need not prime to meet only common riders, neither were these worth the while to get drunk with afterwards. Master Stickles himself undertook, as an officer of the King's Justices, to plead this case with Squire Fagus, as everybody called him now, and to induce him, for the general good, to return to his proper ministry. It was a long and weary journey, although the roads are wondrous good on the farther side of Bristol, and scarcely any man need be bogged if he keep his eyes well open, save perhaps in Berkshire. In consequence of the pass we had, and the vintner's knowledge of it, we only met two public riders, one of whom made off straightway when he saw my companion's pistols and the stout carbine I bore, and the other came to a parley with us, and proved most kind and affable when he knew himself in the presence of the cousin of Squire Fagus. "'God save you, gentlemen,' he cried, lifting his hat politely. "'Many and many a happy day I have worked this road with him. Such times will never be again. But commend me to his love and prayers.' king my name is and king my nature say that and none will harm you and so he made off down the hill being a perfect gentleman and a very good horse he was riding the night was falling very thick by the time we were come to tyburn and here the king's officer decided that it would be wise to halt because the way was unsafe by night across the fields to charing village i for my part was nothing loth and preferred to see london by daylight and, after all, it was not worth seeing, but a very hideous and dirty place, not at all like Exmoor. Some of the shops were very fine, and the signs above them finer still, so that I was never weary of standing still to look at them. But in doing this there was no ease, for before one could begin almost to make the meaning of them, either some of the wayfarers would bustle and scowl and draw their swords, or the owner, or his apprentice boys, would rush out and catch hold of me, crying, Buy! 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 "'What do you lack? What do you lack? Buy! Buy! Buy!' At first I mistook the meaning of this, for so we pronounced the word boy upon Exmoor, and I answered with some indignation, "'Sirrah, I am no boy now, but a man of one and twenty years, and as for lacking, I lack naught from thee, except what thou hast not. Good manners.' The only things that pleased me much were the River Thames and the Hall and Church of Westminster, where there are brave things to be seen, and braver still to think about. But whenever I wandered in the streets, what with the noise the people made, the number of the coaches, the running of the footmen, and the swaggering of great courtiers, and the thrusting aside of everybody, many and many a time I longed to be back among the sheep again, for fear of losing temper. They were welcome to the wall for me, as I took care to tell them, for I could stand without the wall, which perhaps was more than they could do though I said this with the best intention, meaning no discourtesy. Some of them were vexed at it, and one young lord, being flushed with drink, drew his sword and made at me. But I struck it up with my holly stick so that it flew on the roof of a house, then I took him by the belt with one hand and laid him in the kennel. This caused some little disturbance, but none of the rest saw fit to try how the matter might be with them. Now this being the year of our Lord, 1683, more than nine years and a half since the death of my father and the beginning of this history, 
all london was in a great ferment about the dispute between the court of the king and the city the king or rather perhaps his party for they said that his majesty cared for little except to have plenty of money and spend it was quite resolved to be supreme in the appointment of the chief officers of the corporation but the citizens maintained that under their charter this right lay entirely with themselves upon which a writ was issued against them for forfeiture of their charter and the question was now being tried in the court of his majesty's bench this seemed to occupy all the attention of the judges and my case which had appeared so urgent was put off from time to time while the court and the city contended and so hot was the conflict and hate between them that a sheriff had been fined by the king in a hundred thousand pounds and a former lord mayor had even been sentenced to the pillory because he would not swear falsely hence the courtiers and the citizens scarce could meet in the streets with patience or without railing and frequent blows now although i heard so much of this matter for nothing else was talked of and it seeming to me more important even than the church-wardenship of Oar, i could not for the life of me tell which side i should take to for all my sense of position and of confidence reposed in me and of my father's opinions lay heavily in one scale while all my reason and my heart went down plump against injustice and seemed to win the other scale even so my father had been at the breaking out of the civil war when he was less than my age now and even less skilled in politics and my mother told me after this when she saw how i myself was doubting and vexed with myself for doing so that my father used to thank god often that he had not been called upon to take one side or other but might remain obscure and quiet and yet he always considered himself to be a good sound royalist but now as i stayed there only desirous to be heard and to get away and scarcely even guessing yet what was wanted of me for even jeremy stickles knew not or pretended not to know things came to a dreadful pass between the king and all the people who dared to have an opinion for about the middle of june the judges gave their sentence that the city of london had forfeited its charter and that its franchise should be taken into the hands of the king scarcely was this judgment forth and all men hotly talking of it when a far worse thing befell news of some great conspiracy was spread at every corner and that a man in the malting business had tried to take up the brewer's work and lop the king and the duke of york everybody was shocked at this for the king himself was not disliked so much as his advisers but everybody was more than shocked grieved indeed to the heart with pain at hearing that lord william russell and mr algernon sidney had been seized and sent to the tower of london upon a charge of high treason having no knowledge of these great men nor of the matter how far it was true i had not very much to say about either of them or it but this silence was not shared although the ignorance may have been by the hundreds of people around me such a commotion was astir such a universal sense of wrong and stern resolve to right it that every man grasped his fellow's hand and led him into the vintners even i although at that time given to excess in temperance and afraid of the name of cordials was hard set i do assure you not to be drunk at intervals without coarse discourtesy however that as betty muxworthy used to say when argued down and ready to take the mop for it is neither here nor there i have naught to do with great history and am sorry for those who have to write it because they are sure to have both friends and enemies in it and cannot act as they would towards them without damage to their own consciences but as great events draw little ones and the rattle of the churn decides the uncertainty of the flies 
So this movement of the town, and eloquence and passion, had more than I guessed at the time to do with my own little fortunes. For in the first place it was fixed, perhaps from downright contumely because the citizens loved him so, that Lord Russell should be tried neither at Westminster nor at Lincoln's Inn, but at the court of Old Bailey within the precincts of the city. This kept me hanging on much longer, because although the good nobleman was to be tried by the court of common pleas, yet the officers of King's Bench, to whom I daily applied myself, were in council with their fellows, and put me off from day to day. Now I had heard of the law's delays, which the greatest of all poets, knowing much of the law himself, as indeed of everything, has specially mentioned, when not expected among the many ills of life. But I never thought at my years to have such bitter experience of the evil, and it seemed to me that if the lawyers failed to do their duty, they ought to pay people for waiting upon them, instead of making them pay for it. But here I was, now in the second months, living at my own charges in the house of a worthy fellmonger at the sign of the seal and squirrel, abutting upon the strand road which leads from Temple Bar to Charing. Here I did very well indeed, having a mattress of good skin dressings and plenty to eat every day of my life. But the butter was something to cry but thrice at, according to conceit of our school days, and the milk must have come from cows driven to water. However, these evils were light compared with the heavy bills sent up to me every Saturday afternoon, and knowing how my mother had pinched to send me nobly to London, and had told me to spare for nothing but live bravely with the best of them, the tears very nearly came into my eyes as I thought while I ate of so robbing her. At length, being quite at the end of my money and seeing no other help for it, I determined to listen to clerks no more, but force my way up to the justices, and insist upon being heard by them, or discharged from my recognizance, for so they had termed the bond or deed which I had been forced to execute in the presence of a chief clerk or notary the very day after I came to London. And the purport of it was that on pain of a heavy fine or escheatment, I would hold myself ready and present to give evidence when called upon. Having delivered me up to sign this, Jeremy Stickles was quit of me, and went upon other business, not but what he was kind and good to me when his time and pursuits allowed of it. End of chapter 24 Read by Landy in Sydney, Australia, September 2008